today on Ag News Daily. Uh, we, we finished uh, that process at our annual convention in, in, in January when our members sort of finalized what their policies and priorities were going to be when it came to, farm, when it came to the farm bill. Listeners, Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023, Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner and Delaney here to have a conversation with you. How are you doing this morning, Delaney? I am fantastic. It's going to be warm today, finally, Tanner. Yes. Spring is here, or maybe spring without 60 mile an hour winds. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, one of those deals standing out on softball diamonds at night. Uh, literally feeling like you're in the same dust storm that those folks on the interstate were in. Unfortunately, the wind's just not going to go away, especially if you live in Oklahoma or Texas. Both of the panhandles there are looking at some severe thunderstorm warnings. National Weather Service says you could have half dollar sized hail and winds gusting to 60 miles an hour. More storms are likely to fire up tomorrow in those same area and of course up here we're looking at the monitoring of the mississippi river making sure that uh, everybody is safe along that area and the flood stages are continuing to be watched of course that is everywhere basically focused right now between iowa and illinois otherwise we're looking at almost perfect planting weather here over the next couple of days for the most of the midwest yeah and going back to the uh, the windstorm that happened in Illinois a few days ago, folks are starting to try and dig in and figure out why did this happen, Tanner? And unfortunately, a lot of folks are pointing fingers at agriculture, more specifically farmers saying that it's dustful like conditions that caused this windstorm to cause now more than 72 cars in a pileup, according to the latest data. But as more details come to light, a lot of reports have blamed freshly plowed fields and gusty winds as the culprit of the gust of the dust storm. And there have even been some calls for mandatory conservation practices. According to USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey, he said the dust storms in the Midwest are unusual, but he says the accident in Illinois was sparked by the combination of bare soils in the spring. 55 plus mile per hour winds and the direction of those winds. He said it was unfortunately the, the perfect storm and wasn't really blaming agriculture and said agriculture really wasn't to blame for this. It was just a perfect combination of all these different factors. Yeah, it's uh, amazing to watch social media and the war between no-till and conventional till has certainly ramped up a notch there as uh, there's each side defending why each practice would be beneficial to their farms, but then using this as another example for leverage. So uh, certainly unfortunate, but uh, hopefully the country does not overreact with policy so farmers can still have the freedom to make what's a decision for what's best on their farms. We looked at the rain that fell in the southern plains. And a lot of economists in the ag sector are calling it the could have been 2.6 billion dollar rain with over a half an inch falling in those areas for most of oklahoma four inches in parts of southwestern kansas it could have been the rain that saved the winter wheat crop of course economists and those uh, involved in agriculture are stating that the drought conditions 
during fall emergence, the freezes that we reported on and the lack of moisture this spring, plus the dust storm sandblasting has really made the winter wheat crop a uh, continuing to fall into poor conditions. But the nearly 6.7 million acres planted in 2022, looking to be harvested here in 23 out of Texas, plus Oklahoma's 4.6 and Kansas's 8.1, if they'd received this rain delaney in April, you may have seen a 18 bushel per acre bump. And this is all based upon Kansas State's researchers in 2011, used 56 years of real world data and condition monitoring for winter wheat yield. And based upon that, they concluded that the precipitation necessary during the spring weather season can potentially provide a wheat bushel per acre boost of more than 25 bushels to the acre. So when you look at the amount of rain that fell, these researchers are now saying that would have equated to 18 bushels had it come earlier. So what a what if scenario that all of our listeners can talk about now, where would that wheat market be if we would have gained 18 bushels per acre, say that rain came two weeks earlier? So kind of an interesting way to look at things there, Delaney. Absolutely. And I'll uh, add to that piece of news, Tanner, because next week we, of course, have the May WASDE report, which will be really the first time that we see ac actual acreage numbers reflected for 2023. And StoneX put out their estimates here for wheat acres specifically for the 2023 planting season. They ran two different scenarios here to look at where we would be for beginning stocks, production numbers, etc. And so in scenario one, they ran planted acres at 49.9 million acres, 38 harvested and a 48.5 bushel per acre yield. Scenario two, they ran a 47 uh, bushel per yield number. And the numbers are not really drastically that different between the two yields. However, with the higher of the two yields, they saw stocks to use ratio come down to 34% and uh, the lower yield went down to 30%. Then they also ran a third scenario, Tanner, which is the lowest yield. I believe that we've seen in quite some time for wheat, which came in at a 45.9. If in fact we do see a lower, lower yield like that, even our stocks to use ratio drops down to 27%. And I need to fact check this, but I believe that would be one of the lowest stocks to use ratio that the U.S. has seen uh, in the history of these reports being tracked. Wow, that's yeah, most of the statistics that we see are lowest since 2008 or lowest since 2011. Uh, that is impressive if that could be the lowest in history of the report. So thanks for adding that piece to it. I'm going to try and keep as much emotion out of this next article uh, that I want to share here. But the USDA has uh, announced another $130 million in assistance to financially distressed borrowers on Tuesday. This now boosts the total farm loan relief for producers to approximately $1.1 billion. Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack urged Congress that this aid needed to be delivered very quickly and will be delivered across the country to farmers that are considered to be distressed borrowers. More than 20,000 distressed borrowers have been aided by the USDA so far. Some have gone through loan restructuring, others 
were more than 60 days late on their payments when the aid hit. Lawmakers have earmarked $3.1 billion of the 2022 climate, health, and tax law for farm loan immediate relief for borrowers at risk. The USDA released $800 million in October and now have uh, announced $1.23 million that came out in March, plus the announcement Monday for an extra $130 in May, the USDA's Farm Service Agency will begin reviewing the individuals that request assistance, and then the borrowers will be filtered through the process and possibly receive installment payments or look at additional opportunities for restructuring. It's hard to it's hard work to provide our most vulnerable producers with the opportunity to generate long-term stability and success, but that's what we are here for, said Bill Sack. The $3.1 billion for at-risk operators of all backgrounds replaced a $4 billion loan forgiveness program that was put into place in 2021. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this, Delaney, but additional funds are now sent to troubled borrowers as a part of the USDA program. Yes, I saw that piece of news as well. So I'm glad you picked up on that there, Tanner. Uh, we also saw USDA announce some grants for the future of food. These grants geared specifically at new processors for livestock. The USDA awarded some $21.9 million in grants to smaller livestock and poultry processors under the Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant Program last year. The funding has now gone into effect in projects in 37 different states with the goal to help strengthen and develop new market opportunities for meat and poultry processors. Of course, this was really started to be implemented or an idea after we saw the stress of COVID-19 and lockdowns of processing facilities. And so as part of the goal to help diversify that, this new grant program came to light. But uh, the latest round of grant series here was the ninth round of grant money uh, sent out to different recipients. Ninth round has been announced today, and that includes a couple of different operations across the Midwest, Texas, Iowa, uh, Nebraska, etc. But seems that they are continuing to dole out those payments here in multiple rounds. I'm not sure how many rounds in total they're expecting to pass out here, but I'm assuming as many as they can get out the door until that grant money runs out, Tanner. Yeah, that's correct. We've got another team entering into the smart spray sector. BASF and Bosch have now teamed up for their new smart weed control option that farmers can have access to. Farmers will soon be able to have equipment that they can add to their sprayer to make it a smart sprayer in their equipment lineup. The joint venture between Bosch and BASF Digital Farming is put together one smart spray. The new brand will apply its product to previously marketed smart spray solutions. The brand comes after feedback from farmers in both North America and South America, as well as Europe, have looked for progressive technology for full commercial launches to make chemical and other sprays more economically feasible. So they're looking here, this one smart spray is the realization of a value proposition, Delaney, that will allow farmers to use a camera-based system developed by Bosch to detect the weeds in milliseconds and then precisely spray 
only where and when necessary. This will use field-specific data as well as uh, proprietary technology to eliminate the need for broadcast spraying and should provide a great value proposition for farmers. We'll continue to watch this. This brand follows recent announcements of commercial agreements with Agco and Damon as well as Amazon and Stara. And of course, we'll compete with uh, the sea and spray technology from John Deere and Ag Leaders technology in the same industry. So it looks like continued market competition to bring farmers more economical solutions for their broadcast spray needs. The future is here to interrupt spring. That's correct. <laughs> well, Switching tracks here into a little bit of Russia-Ukraine news, the Kremlin said on Tuesday afternoon that the window to extend the Black Sea grain deal has been shrinking. Tanner, it sounds like the two parties are continuing to have discussions, but those discussions don't prove to be yielding any sort of positive results. Russia continues to indicate that they are really prepared to walk away from the deal. May 18th is when we will see things officially cease if another agreement or extension is not released. And the Kremlin spokesperson told reporters on Tuesday that part of Russia's concern was not being implemented and uh, their interests aren't really being taken into account here. They said Russia's positions are very well known that the deal was extended for two months and the terms of the deal concern Russia's agricultural sector. Uh, Getting at here that a lot of sanctions are still in place. A lot of countries are not doing business with Russia. A lot of countries and businesses are pulling out of any sort of business located in Russia, as we've been continuing to report on Cargill and others that have been pulling out of those areas. So Russia, all in all, is pointing fingers at a lot of other countries in the rest of the world, saying nobody is playing nicely with them. Why should they play nicely with Ukraine? So going to be interesting here as we get down to the wire to see what happens. Yeah, at least the deputy defense minister of Turkey will be meeting with representatives from Russia and Ukraine in the Turkish capital on May 5th. Now, we don't know if this is exactly the right officials to negotiate the extension of the grain deal, but at least that part is happening. Just a couple more quick headlines from over there. A couple of drones were spotted over the Kremlin. This took place while Putin was not within the building, says Russian officials. There was no incident there. Meanwhile, uh, there looks to be more drone strikes that caused a fire at a storage facility near Crimea, Crimea, and as well as uh, additional attacks across Ukraine that came about early on Wednesday. No casualties have been reported yet. President Zelensky is in Finland for a meeting with Finnish and other Nordic counterparts to discuss uh, their border that is all shared with Russia. Of course, we reported last week that Finland was the 31st member to join NATO in April. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Uh, It also stated here that President Zelensky mentioned that he learned about the United States leak through the news and not a direct relationship of uh, information coming from the United States government. So not necessarily on great terms in that side of things. That's all I've got for headlines for today, Delaney. Are you ready for a super fun piece of news, Tanner, to wrap things up before we hit the markets? 
Let's do it. Super fun on a Wednesday. Super fun. Okay. I don't know if you've seen this floating around anywhere on social media. I shared it on my LinkedIn. We can definitely share it on the Ag News Daily channels as well. But have you seen the new campaign that the dairy farmers put out, Tanner? I have not. Oh, it is a blast. Let me tell you what. Dairy Farmers of America have used the actress. Um, she's in The White Lotus. She's in a couple of, I would say, comedy type of, of pieces. She's not quite as popular as like your grade A actress, but she's still pretty good. Aubrey Plaza. Um, she has been featured in a Dairy Farmers of America wood milk parody which mimics the Got Milk advertising campaign that's been famous for the dairy industry for quite some years now. But this newest campaign here stars Aubrey as she is basically making fun of plant-based milk. And specifically in this commercial, they have uh, deemed this milk type called wood milk that is made from trees. They show this process of basically like squeezing the wood pulp out of the tree and turning that into milk. It is hilarious. Of course, we're seeing some trolls react very unfavorably to it, but I personally love the campaign and would encourage our listeners to check it out. Be super easy to find if you haven't already seen it floating around social media, but Tanner, it's a good one. You got to find it. I tell you, you're right. It won't be hard to find because I've already got it Googled up here to watch after we get done recording. It is a good one. You'll have to tell me what you think, but not such a good one here as we look at markets in the overnight. They're starting to pull back after some earlier gains this week in the soybean complex. July corn today down three cents in the overnight to open at 577. New crop corn down two pennies will open here at 517 and three quarters. In the July soybean pits, shedding eight and a quarter cent today to open at 14.04 and a half in the November. New crop soybeans down five and a half cents in the overnight to open at 12.61 and three quarters. July hard red winter wheat up 13 cents on the board today to open at 7.53, maybe trading on some of those lower anticipated yields that we may see this season. In the live cattle contracts here this morning, June live cattle shed a dollar ninety-seven and a half yesterday to open at a buck sixty-two ninety today. August feeders will open at two twenty-six seventeen and a half, and June lean hogs will clock in this morning at eighty-five. Excuse me, eighty-nine ninety-five. Tanner, let's kick things over to a conversation I had in Washington D.C. with Joby Young, the executive vice president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Chatting with Executive Vice President Joby Young of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Joby, I feel like we have to talk right away about the right to repair because we had big headlines last week coming out with the state of Colorado passing that legislation. Not long after AFBF at their annual convention had issued the MOU with, with John Deere, where do we head from here? Well, we, we, from the beginning, have pursued the, the, the uh, MOU approach. That's what our, our members, as they've considered this issue, asked us to do, uh, the American Farm Bureau. And so we spent a, a, a number of months uh, in those conversations uh, with John Deere. That was our first MOU, and uh, we we're very uh, we we're very excited about that, very satisfied with with uh, the, the, the framework and the, and the conversation and the approach that that laid out. Uh, as as uh, you might have seen, we, we had a second uh, MOU with Case IH that – was largely similar to the first, and so great progress on having uh, having that conversation. That's a private sector approach. It's an MOU approach. It, um, uh, it it hopefully leads to some other 
uh, MOUs with some additional manufacturers, and and so that's the that's the approach our members asked us to do, and and one that that uh, that we that we expect to continue with. Now, uh, of course, I did, we did see the, the, the developments in Colorado. That's a, a, a new law. We'll, we'll see where that goes, but but for for us, we'll continue with our MOU process because it is productive and and one that uh, we have a we have high hopes for to continue in a in a, in a good way. Now, Colorado is not the only state that's looking at passing similar legislation. Does this derail the MOU that you guys have been working toward? No, we'll continue our efforts on, on the MOU. I can't speculate about you know what any particular state may or may not do, but what we do know is that, that our MOU approach ha- has uh, has been uh, been one that has a lot of promise and and, and has a lot of a buy-in from our members and and something that our members are excited to see, excited to see this prospect where that goes. That is an ongoing conversation. It wasn't a one-time event. It was uh, it was a framework that uh, sort of outlines how that conversation will go forward and, and we think it'll be it'll go on a productive path. So it's a conversation for now. What is the ultimate end goal as you continue to have these conversations with Deer, Case, and others? Well, the ultimate end goal is to have good outcomes for farmers on their on their operations out there, uh, you know, trying to uh, do business, trying to operate on their farms. And uh, what our members said is, hey, we, we just want to farm. We want to be able to uh, to uh, uh, Pursue whatever approach uh, allows us to, to to have access to the tools and the and the resources we need to to to, to make those fixes in real time and, and move on and get back to work and so that's what the MOU succeeded uh, exceeded at laying out a framework for doing and and uh, and those are the outcomes we want to see so uh, we're, we look forward to continuing to work on that and continue to to realize those outcomes. So you laid out at your annual convention the MOU, but what are the next steps from here? You said conversations, but from a producer standpoint, what are they going to see as far as action? Yeah, sure. Well, it, it, it laid out um, uh, expectations for what 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 uh, producers, what, what farmers and ranchers need to have and want to have, and also what their responsibility is for for the manufacturer, what they what the expectations they can they can put forward that, that they that they're going to provide in those in those interactions uh, with producers, and so. Uh, when I when I say that it'll continue on, I mean that that actually will go into practice as we as we move along. You know, hopefully uh, with additional manufacturers as well. And um, and, and so when I when I tell you that that conversation will uh, will will go forward, that's that it'll, it, within the within the bounds of that framework. Joby, switching tracks. Obviously, we have a farm bill this year that we hope to see get done. But what are some of those top issues right now that AFBF is pushing for in the latest farm bill? Yeah, sure. So we we started, um, you know, a number of months ago, back in in last year, uh, a process to. Uh to outline uh, farm bill priorities for the, for uh, Farm Bureau members, uh, we we finished uh, that process at our annual convention in, in in January, and our members sort of finalized what their policies and priorities were going to be when it came to farm what came to the farm bill, and uh, and we've been excited to see as the as the new year has gone on, the last couple months here, uh, the new Congress really jump in and, and begin those listening tours around the country, begin the uh, those the the formal uh, conversations and, and hearings and other things that have to go forward on the Hill actually on Capitol Hill uh, to, to start that farm bill process. Uh, of course, as, as many of your listeners know, and they've been around and they've and they've watched the farm bill process in the past, it starts with those with the, that feedback generation and then you know advances to p- sort of putting pen to paper, so to speak, uh, through through the next few months. And and we're excited with the with the urgency and the sort of unified purpose that we've seen. Uh, not just our ag committee members and ag committee leaders and chair people and, and ranking uh, members uh, pers- uh, talk about the farm bill process. 
process, but also the, the, the overall leadership on the Hill. Uh, prioritizing a farm bill, uh, they've articulated a number of uh, leaders uh, have articulated getting a farm bill done this year. So we're excited to see that. That's certainly a priority for us is getting it done this year. The farm bill is a five-year five cycle because it's meant to uh, give the opportunity every five years to, to consider uh, ag policy uh, in light of the current circumstances. So we think it's important to get it done this year given all of the circumstances we've seen play out over the last two years. We've been in interesting times, uh, to say the least, in um, in the agriculture and, 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 and food world in terms of the pandemic and weather events and food supply chain uh, issues and inflation and and, and, and uh, increased input costs and all the rest. So it's important. It's important conversation to have this year to do that uh, to do that uh, policy process on time and do it this year. And so that's sort of the main priority that we want to talk about. We want to talk about having a unified farm bill, and that's been a, su- a successful approach in past farm bills. We think that should continue. Uh, our members have always also talked about the um, the importance of taking a look at uh, the resources in your Title I programs and whether those reference prices and other things match the economic circumstances we're in right now, uh, protecting farm insurance, uh, continuing the successful legacy and the successful approach that our risk management programs in farm insurance, uh, I'm sorry, uh, crop insurance has had over the last number of years. And, and then the, the last sort of main priority I mentioned is, uh, is our approach on conservation, having that be a um, market-based, uh, voluntary, incentive, uh, incentive-based uh, approach to conservation, which has been very successful over the decades, and we think it should continue. Now, going back a little bit, you mentioned some of the issues we've had with China, with COVID and the pandemic, and, and we've seen, because of that, a lot of additional subsidy programs being created, market facilitation program, uh, CFAP, etc. And so lately, it seems like we've been seeing a lot of headlines touted that the Farm Bill needs additional funding to avoid having to do those bandage approach programs. What's the Farm Bureau's take on that? Well, our members of uh, at our at our convention they articulated that they thought that those uh, resources to be reexamined and increased to uh, to match the times and the circumstances we're in. I mean, certainly uh, those you know ad hoc uh, uh, off farm bill uh, expenditures are part of that conversation. Something that uh, policymakers will cons- uh, will consider. But but we have articulated, uh, I think, consistent with a lot of farm groups that are seeing similar things on the, on the ground. These these uh, farmers and ranchers and producers are uh, are seeing. Uh, the, you know what they're you know in their balance sheet and then and then in their personal finances and in their circumstances in terms of input prices and and the volatility in the markets they're seeing those sorts of things and, and that's why they've articulated that need and and uh, I think that uh, uh, the, the, the the policymakers will take it all that into account and, and they'll they'll be they'll be figuring out uh, how to approach those things with, with given these circumstances we've seen. Now, Joby, obviously with elections every few years, that creates a new environment in Washington, D.C., as we see new legislators step into office. What's the climate been like here since these latest round of folks have stepped into office, and do they seem like they're willing to create bipartisan support for a new farm bill? Well, of, uh, of course, anytime you get a new Congress, there's always going to be uh, folks that are you might be introduced to any number of issues that they haven't dealt with in their professional lives before coming into office. We see about 260 members, I believe, that uh, were not uh, in Congress in 2018 when the last Farm Bill was passed. So, you know, one of our goals is certainly in in, in partnership with our state farm bureaus across the country, uh, getting out and talking to those new members that that, that haven't uh, haven't really considered farm policy in the past if that, if it wasn't an area that they focused. 
guest on and talk to him about the Farm Bill, talk to him about ag policy, explaining how important it is and how it uh, really is uh, is uh, something that affects the lives of not just rural America, not just agricultural producers, but but uh, every American and every community. So we're, we're having those conversations. I think that, uh, of course, there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be uh, conversations across the spectrum of different policy preferences or priorities or, or viewpoints, and, and, and that's normal. That's something that happens in any Congress. Uh, I've been really, um, and I think the rest of, our, of, of the American Farm Bureau leadership, we've been really uh, uh, encouraged by the fact that you have uh, uh, leaders, uh, not just in the agriculture committees, but, you know, you see uh, President, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy go out and attend a listening session in, in California and uh, be engaged in that and talk about passing a farm bill. You see that from other leaders on the Hill uh, articulating the, the, how important a farm bill is and, and, and also talk about the fact that a, a, a farm bill needs to be bipartisan. It needs to uh, go, follow that process. And, and so that's something we're really encouraged by. So are you expecting a hopefully fast and timely farm bill for this year or expecting it to go into next year? Well, I think it's very promising to see the enthusiasm uh, these first four months of the year and see that continue through the summer. Uh, it has to go through the, the normal process, the normal conversations, uh, probably, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, working its way through the legislative calendar, uh, along with anything else, that's pretty normal. And, and but it's encouraging to see uh, what's happened so far, and we hope to see that in the future. And we'll certainly be advocating for that because we do think it's very important for it to for it, for it to pass this year. Great, Joby. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks again, Delaney, for sharing that with our listeners. And listeners, thanks for hanging out with us again on another Ag News Daily Podcast. We appreciate you. Hopefully you'll join us again tomorrow as we keep you updated on the world of agriculture. What do you say, Delaney, for today? What do you, Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.